Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. This song could not be more fitting than to set up what we're going to deal with or what we dealt with last week and then what we're going to deal with today. The second part and probably the final part to increase capacity. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That phrase right there is huge for us. Let us go on to the perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works of faith toward God of doctrines of doctrine of baptisms of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment father speak I pray that you would let this word move us shift this revival into a whole nother dimension let it be so today God and we give you praise and the church says amen Amen. put your hands together one more time as I already said one more time but one more time and you can be seated We understand the context of our scripture is the writer of Hebrews, whom I believe to be Paul, is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who are feeling the pull to go back into Judaism. And so by the time Paul gets to Hebrews chapter 5 and Hebrews 6, he begins to assess their spiritual progress or the lack thereof. Knowing that they need a good understanding of these fundamental doctrines before they were able to increase their spiritual capacity. He uses this phrase that they need to go on to perfection. And what we learned last week is that this phrase, these two words go on doesn't just mean to go. It means forward movement and so it means to move forward the word perfection means moving up into a higher dimension or going from one grade to the next now I dealt with dimensions and levels last week I don't have time to do that this morning except to say that that every dimension has in it levels and we go from level to level And once we go through all the levels in our spiritual growth, once we go through all the levels, then that dimension is filled. And now it's time to go into another dimension, which is filled with more levels. So you don't just take on a dimension. You take on levels in the dimension. Yes. And so 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 with that in mind, then we then we understand that it is much more difficult to transition 
from dimension to dimension than it is level to level. So there is a definite, I believe, a definite demarcation in our understanding. A definite demarcation in our experiences with God. When we move from dimension to dimension, you have to be much more focused. You have to be much more aware. And you have to push and you have to press. Because you're not just going up, you're going out and in. So you've got to be able to step out, to step in, to step up. When you're moving into a higher dimension. And so the whole purpose that I felt, uh, felt pressed to share this and to teach on this is that I believe that we are, we are pressing on the next dimension of revival. We have been going for, for five and a half, almost six years now, level to level to level. And now here we are at a place of, of, of crossing from one dimension to the next. It's going to take a little more push. A little more focus. A little more surrender. And you may wonder, well, what does this dimension look like? I asked the Holy Spirit, can you just give me an idea of what this dimension looks like? And these, this, this is what came to me. It's going to look like greater manifestations and harvest. And when I say greater manifestations, I mean greater physical manifestations of the acts of the Holy Spirit. Are going to be very visible, notable, unusual, undeniable manifestations of God. From healings to just us responding in certain ways to the glory of God and the presence of God. It's going to, it's going to be a dimension filled with transformation of our spiritual lives as well as those that are in darkness coming out of darkness into light. There's going to be great harvest. And so we're looking at this and, and, I, and I just felt like we had to go through these fundamental doctrines that Paul is dealing with. Because the fact that they are fundamental, they're, element, they're elementary teachings of Christ, that if we can grow in each one of these, in our understanding. See, what you have to understand about doctrine is doctrine is primary and it is also secondary. And what I mean by that, that all doctrine has a primary meaning. But then I believe there is secondary, and that's how, that, how you take that doctrine. Because it's not about knowing it, it's about living it. You can memorize all of them and write them down on a page, but if you ain't living it, it don't mean nothing. If you're not experiencing it, justification is awesome, but if I don't understand it and live like I'm justified... And so, so th this, this is important. I, I, I need to lay this down because I'm just getting ready to jump here in a minute. And we're just going to do some doctrine stuff. But you have to understand there's a primary meaning of it. And then there is, there is the secondary meaning. The primary meaning is always you have to go back to that because that is definitely fundamental. And that is understanding how this works, how God works, how the Spirit of God works, and how this, and how this affects my life as a, as a follower of Christ and a born-again believer and a Spirit-filled believer. What does all this mean to us? Why is it important? Why did Paul say... We can't go higher until we go deeper in these things. Until we go broader in this. Because you know, you do know the higher the building goes, the deeper the foundation must be, and the wider the foundation must be. 
This is why revival gets a bad name. Because many people that are experiencing revival are two inches deep and a mile wide. And so somehow, and I still haven't got the answer to all of this yet, but somehow these fundamental doctrines that Paul is dealing with here, he's saying we got to get these because we got to go on, but we can't go on until we get these. And so I, I got a feeling there's more layers to it than even we're going to get to today. That every time you begin, to, the spirit begins to say you're going to another dimension. Oh, don't forget this. Don't forget the primary meaning of repentance, which is turning from sin to God. But don't forget the secondary meaning of repentance is when we turn. When we turn, it's repentance. When God turns, it's revelation. So as a believer, I don't only repent when I have sin. I repent. I turn to God when I want to see him in a whole nother level. We, we, we closed out with that without, uh, uh, last week. And, and so what I want to do today is I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump right into baptisms. Baptisms. The word baptism in the Greek is baptizos. It means to emerge, to wash, to fully emerge. To be emerged by someone into something. The oldest understanding of the word is to dip and to die. To dip and to die. It, it, it was terminology that was used by someone that say they had a, they had a white uh, um, a robe and they wanted it to be red. So they took the white robe and they dipped it into the dye. It was dipped and dye and they left it in there. And until it took on the color of the dye. Until it took on the DNA of the dye. They pushed it down in there until when they brought it out, it was a whole new cloth. It was a whole new robe. It was a whole new set of clothes. Because it had been dipped and it had been dyed. Are you with me? Now to understand baptism then, because baptism is immersion. We believe in, we believe in full baptism because it says it is, we, we are to be baptized. We're to be baptized in water. And so when you are baptized, you got to be fully emerged. You can't just pour it on your head. That's just, that ain't going to work. That's why we don't believe in infant baptism or sprinkling. We believe that there has to be a complete washing, a complete covering, even though there's nothing, nothing in the water itself, in that act of obedience, to be fully emerged in, into this. Now watch this. So, so this means, this means uh, that there must be, in order to, for baptism to take place, there must be a baptizer. There must be an element into which someone then is baptized. So you've got three things there. You have a baptizer, you have an element, and you have a believer. And all baptisms, there is a baptizer, there is an element, and there is a believer. The first, because, and, and Paul here says that he, he, he's speaking of baptisms, plural. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you some scriptures quickly as I can, but I got to give these to you because I'm going to show you that there are three baptisms through the book of Acts over and over again. I want you to, I want you to follow me in this because I, I call this the apostolic pattern of three baptisms. All right, Acts 8, verse 12. 
But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the, the, uh, and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing miracle signs which were done. Then in Acts 8, 14, 17, now when, when the apostles were, uh, who were in Jerusalem heard Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they had come, prayed for them that they might receive Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen upon them. Watch this. They had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So what I hear, we see three baptisms. The baptism of believer, when they believed the word that Philip preached to them, they were baptized. And then after, because they were a believer, they were baptized. What were they baptized in? They were baptized in water. Got that? And then later, the apostles came and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just walk with me, and then I'll come back and explain these. Acts 10, 43. To him, all, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believed in him would receive remission of sins. This was the last sentence of, of Peter's message in Cornelius' house before Holy Ghost broke out. Watch this. To him, all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sin. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? For they have received the Holy Spirit. Oh, somehow it got turned around. They got the Holy Ghost before they got the water. But they believed before they got the Holy Ghost. Acts 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul had passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and found some disciples and he said to them did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed and they said we have not heard whether there is a Holy Spirit unfortunately that's probably the answer that most churches would give you today most Pentecostal churches would we haven't even heard yet so they said to him we have not heard whether there is a Holy Ghost and he said to them into what then were you baptized so they say into the baptism of John. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So what we see here, this is two biblical, uh, uh, three biblical uh, illustrations that there are three baptisms. The first baptism is the baptism into the body. This, this is a baptism that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free. Everybody say racism's coming down. And when all had been made to drink into one spirit. Then Galatians 3.27, he mentions it again, for as many of us who were baptized into Christ have been, have put on Christ. 
So the, the, the first baptism I want to talk about is the baptism into the body or the baptism into Christ. You see, you have to understand this is a spiritual baptism and it takes place at conversion. It is a spiritual reality and absolutely really no one understands it because it's somehow mystical because we don't do it. Holy Spirit does it. And that when we are born again, we are brought into the body of Christ. And so the elements are, who's the baptizer? Holy Spirit. What is the element? Who is the element? The body of Christ. Who's the baptizee? The believer. Watch this, because we're going to go somewhere with that. See, what you have to understand to grab hold of this, the baptism being baptized into the body, is that you see... When Christ entered this world, he took on a physical body. And through this body, he demonstrated the love and the power of God in a tangible, undeniable, boldly way. He said, look at me and you see God. He said, he, he, his body took on a physical image and it began, God began to work through this man called Jesus. And especially in his death, his burial, and his resurrection after his bodily ascension then we understand that when the bible talks about us being brought into the body of christ by the holy spirit he's talking about the church he's talking about the church and then we have to understand that the work of jesus demonstrating the love and the power of the father is now manifested through his church and that everyone that is born again when you are born again Again, you're born again into the body of Christ. Holy Spirit supernaturally takes you and immerses you in the body of Christ. And so then, then we understand that as the ministry of Jesus is continuing in the earth, it continues through the church or the ecclesia. And now the ecclesia is demonstrating the love and the power of God. The ecclesia is in the earth to administer kingdom concepts and principles in the earth. You see, I want you to understand this because you don't just get in the body because you sign a card and said, I'm a member of a church. He's not talking about that church. He's talking about the church that is the ecclesia, the spiritually born church. It's not an organization. It is a living organism that comes alive because God puts every one of us who are born again of the spirit into the body of Christ and that takes on a whole whole nother level see that's why when someone is truly converted and born again talked about that seed remember last week that imperishable that incorruptible seed that comes that's planted on the inside is by who Holy Spirit and we become a part of this this body Oh, look, the body of Christ is huge. Although there are many expressions of the body this morning in different types of churches. But you have to understand that when you are born again, you are brought in to the body of Christ. Yes? Now, the second baptism is one I don't have to spend a lot of time on because we are, we are more, more familiar with this. And that is what we call the baptism of the believer or water baptism. What a baptism. 
We do that. We do that all revival weekend long. Water baptism is a prophetic response to a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is that when we're born again, we're brought in, out of darkness, into light, into the kingdom of God. And then out of obedience, because all believers should be baptized. Right? I don't have to go into all this. Y'all know this. And so baptism then is this outward expression of an inward experience. It means I now physically identify with the body of Christ, which is the ecclesia. And so this is, this is then symbolic of the newness of life. Remember I talked about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So it is in the spirit. So we, we, we do a prophetic response to that spirituality that we have died in Christ we are buried in Christ, and we've been resurrected in Christ. So even though when we come up, there's nothing spiritual about the water, but because it's a prophetic response out of faith and obedience, when you come up out of that water, you come up declaring, I am a new man, I am a new woman, I identify physically with the church, with the ecclesia of God. Yes? See, they're baptisms. The third baptism, believe me, I'm going somewhere. This third baptism is what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptizer is Jesus. The element is Holy Spirit. And then the believer. This, this, oh, I, I, I didn't give you that in water. Obviously, obviously, in baptism, the baptizer is a believer. The element is the water, and then the believer. That's why some people call it the, the baptism of the believer. Okay, I want to get that right. Don't want you to go out ignorant. Baptism into the Holy Spirit. It's when we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. It is a definite work of grace subsequent to salvation. So when I am born again and I am brought into relationship with God through Christ and I'm brought into the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit is also a work of grace the Holy Spirit is doing all of this out of my faith and my obedience but baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't the same as being baptized into the body I believe that you can go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues why? Because when you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes, dwells inside you, and does the work of regeneration, causing you to be a born-again child of God into the body of Christ. Are you with me? 
And so if you understand this, then you understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent experience. This is why there are three baptisms. Baptism in the body, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. You see, you see, you see what, I want us to, what I want us to understand about this is that we need to understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit may, may not be necessary to go to heaven, but it is essential to living heaven on earth. So it's not like, oh, I'm good. I'm baptized in a body. I'm baptized in water. Okay, you're on your way to heaven. Awesome. But don't forget, you were brought into the ecclesia. And the ecclesia is not made up of people that's waiting for Jesus to come. The ecclesia is made up of people that are filled with the Holy Ghost and power and that are ready to take on every agenda of hell. Yes? And so, so, so when, when we are born again, we have what we call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling. But after that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and it doesn't have to be like after, like days. It'd be like, Lord, forgive me my sin. I'm, I'm born again. Boom. You, you can get Holy Ghost baptism before you get water baptism. That's all, that's all up to you. But watch this. And so there is this, this, this indwelling of the Spirit. But when we talk about the baptism in the Spirit, now we're talking about what we call an infilling of the Spirit. A baptism in the Holy Spirit where maybe not my physical body, but my spirit man is totally immersed. Totally immersed. Not, not a sprinkle of Holy Ghost. Not a head pouring on the Holy Ghost. But a full immersion into the Holy Spirit. This is important for us to understand. At least for me, because I'm classical Pentecostal. And I think every believer ought to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence speaking in tongues. I just gave you three examples of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Right? Okay, so, so there's this infilling. Now, now, the difference, you might ask... You might ask me, Pastor, what's the difference between an indwelling and an infilling? And I would say, I'm glad you asked. I happen to have the answer right here in front of me. You see, the indwelling of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit is like a well. It's like a well comes alive in me. My spirit man is a well. The Spirit of God has made me alive in Christ. He's planted in a perishable seed of the Spirit. And I have a well. I have a sanctuary. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He literally dwells in us. So I have a well. Now the thing about a well is wells are stationary. So could it be that the indwelling of the presence is the place where I experience Holy Spirit it is, my, it is my quiet place in the Spirit. It, it, it is where I soak in the Spirit. But then there is this baptism, this infilling, and the infilling, it, 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 it's, like, uh, it's like a spirit empowerment that causes me to do something. The indwelling 
makes me into who God wants me to be. But the infilling empowers me to do something because the infilling is like a river. So the indwelling is like a well, I drink and I drink and I drink, but the infilling is the river that flows. It flows away. It flows out of me. It flows to this point, and that point, and this point, and that point. See, not to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is somewhat selfish that I'll just take care of me. But you got to understand, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, when the Holy Ghost takes you and presses you into the river of God, then you become somebody that hell has to deal with. Then you become somebody that understands this thing ain't just about me. Come on, y'all. When you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, as they said in no church, it makes you love everybody. And obviously, the initial evidence of the baptism, as I just showed you, is speaking in tongues. It's not the only evidence, the initial, the root. It comes out at the very beginning of your experience in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You receive a heavenly language. Not just the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm talking about a prayer language. I'm talking about a flowing river. I'm talking about this is something that we have to understand um, that, that on, on the day of Pentecost, 120 passionate seekers were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Acts 2.4. But this fulfillment was a promise that Jesus had made just a few days earlier when he said in Acts 1.5, he said, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then he was speaking of what happened on the day of Pentecost. Why did they speak in tongues? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak with another tongue. You see, you need this child of God. If you don't have this yet, I got good news. This could be your moment. This could be your day. This could be your breakthrough into the Holy Spirit and receive a prayer language that literally shifts your whole spiritual life. Yes? Somebody shout baptisms. You say, why is all this important? Why is all this spiritual stuff? Unfortunately, a lot of churches are, well, I don't know. I never heard of the Holy Ghost. I don't know what it is. I don't know why everybody is trying to be spiritual. Because our God is the Spirit. He's a spiritual being. And if you want to know Him and walk with Him and relate to Him, He doesn't relate to us flesh to flesh. He relates to us spirit to spirit. So baptism in the Holy Spirit then becomes the gateway to the supernatural. The greatest threat to religion is a Holy Spirit baptized church. You see, can I come here and not speak in tongues? Absolutely, if you can stand the heat. They say, are you ecumenical? Which means you, you like fellowship with all denominations. I said, yeah, if they can stand the heat. Just so I, don't ask me to calm down. 
to make you feel more comfortable being around me. Don't ask me to put the fire on low to be more acceptable. Y'all know Jesus never said, please make me acceptable. He never said, accept me. He said, follow me. So, so you, you, can't, you can't hardly refer to the book of Acts without referring to the supernatural. It's all over the book of Acts. Every, every chapter, all 28 chapters are touched by the supernatural. So this is what we have to understand then. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the immersion of a believer into the Holy Spirit, being fully saturated and covered by the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about a spiritual goal. Check. We're talking about a gateway to the supernatural. Welcome to Acts 29. It's time for the supernatural. This is what I kept seeing as I was going through this. I said, Lord, I know we have, we have a very learned church. I'm not, I'm not saying Pastor Kim and I take credit for that. I'm just saying there's a lot of mature believers. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new believers also, but there's a lot of mature. And I'm saying this baptism thing is going to bore them. And they said, no, 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 no. They need to understand this because they think they just, they just got to a goal. Maybe because you pray in tongues 10 minutes a day or maybe you haven't prayed in tongues. In six months, but you have experienced that and received that. Today, you need to go deeper. Today, you need to go newer. Today. Look, y'all, I've been in this thing my whole life. But there hardly a a week goes by. I said, Lord, I need a fresh baptism. I can't do what I got to do and say what I got to say if I don't have a fresh baptism. A fresh Take me deep. Yes. Now I'm going to take a jump. From baptisms to laying on of hands. That's a doctrine? Yeah. Paul says it's a doctrine. You need to understand it. Not just say, I believe in it. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. But understand it. Why do we lay hands on each other? See, to understand the laying on of hands, you got to understand the impartation. To understand impartation, you have to understand anointing. The anointing, the word anointing, literally means to smear or to smear by touch. In the Old Testament, the anointing oil was used to signify the passing of the anointing. When the priest or the high priest or the prophet got ready to pass the anointing on, They would take the oil and they would pour it on them and they would rub the oil in. Why? Because in reality, the prophet or the priest was giving whoever they were anointing their oil. It wasn't, they didn't get it because they deserved it. They got it because the the, the priest or the prophet said, you are called and chosen and anointed. They didn't go find their own oil. The prophet and the priest poured oil on them. Some of y'all running low on oil. I hadn't planned on saying that, but it just came to me. When's the last time you checked your oil? 
What are you talking about? Yeah, some of y'all got an oil leak. In reality, most all of us got an oil leak. And so, so, so the New Testament then, we see that the anointing is not a literal oil, although we have oil and we anoint with oil, but the oil is the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. And because Holy Spirit is anointing or oil, then, we, then, then now we understand that through the Holy Spirit, we can now, or the Holy Spirit now can be passed. How is it passed? Through the laying on of hands. 1 John 2, 27, And the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. So when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, watch, and we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at that moment we can also receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And this anointing abides within us. And because, now look, there are some today in modern church that don't believe in impartation. They don't believe in laying on of hands. But I still believe that when the laying on of hands are done with intentional thought and faith and obedience, that there can be a supernatural transition of anointing and power. Oh, y'all are hearing what I'm talking about. Romans 1.11 says, for I long, Paul says, I long to the Romans, to the church, the whole church. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. Paul the apostle understood. He had this longing. I, I know I can write letters to you. I know you can watch me online. I know you're trying to make me think that it's the same way at home that it is here. But Paul says, I long to be with you because I might be able to put a paper in your hand with anointed words on it, but I can't wait to get my hands on you because if I can get my hands on you, I can give you something you can't get anywhere else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see, Pastor Kim hit it at Gap when she said, COVID, COVID has gagged us and has bound us. And when she said bound us, I said, yes. It's told us to stay six foot apart. It's told us don't get close. Don't ever shake hands again. Quit touching each other. I say to hell with COVID. We got to get our hands back. The enemy says, watch me take their voice and watch me take their hands. But I say we're getting them back, getting them back, getting them back. There's some things that just won't get there until somebody in faith lays hands on somebody in faith. It's a point of contact. Whew. 
you know, those are, there's all kinds of examples of, of, and purposes of laying hold of hands and, 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 and of impartation throughout the scripture. You have Moses laying hands on the elders. You have Moses laying hands on Joshua. You have Elijah and Elisha. You have Peter laying hands on the lame man. Such as I have, I give unto you. Silver and gold, I have none. Today we got plenty of silver and plenty of gold, but we ain't got nothing else. Barnabas and Saul. They laid hands on them, the apostles did to send them out. Paul and Timothy. Timothy said, in 2 Timothy 1.6, therefore, or Paul said to Timothy, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It got in you, Timothy, because I put my hands on you. You know, one of my favorite stories, I've turned into this lover of church history since I've been teaching it in our mantled class, mantle school revival class. Smith Wigglesworth is like, he's a wild one. He was a wild one. But one of my favorite stories was when he was in a small town. He was in a small town preaching a revival at a church. And so they didn't have hotels in this town. So one of the saints in the church, a woman whose husband was unsaved, said, you could come, pastor, he could come and he could stay in my house and he could stay in my bedroom. He could sleep in our bed. My husband and I will give, we'll submit to this, even though my husband's not saved. I know he'll be fine. And so Smith Wigglesworth stayed a week in this woman's home. The revival ended. He was getting ready to leave. And the woman begged him, sir, do not leave. My husband is not saved yet. And on his way out the door, he looked at the woman and he simply said, don't change the sheets. That night, the woman and her husband got in that bed. And he had been in there too long until he could feel the flames of hell coming up around him and he crawled to the end of the bed and got on his face and said God save me I feel like I'm going into the flames of hell don't change the sheets I still believe in the power of impartation now whoo Lord, help me. Now I'm like, no, let's just stay there on that, God. But Paul goes on and he talks about resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Obviously, God is telling us as you're pushing into this next dimension of revival, there needs to be a greater understanding of the ways of the Spirit and the working of the Spirit and who you are in Christ. Because I'm getting ready to release greater manifestations through your hands. Your hands. See, some of y'all are going to be going to your jobs and 
grocery stores and banks and wherever y'all go. And you're going to feel fire coming into your hands. You're going to feel unction coming on you. And you're going to say, excuse me, but can I just put my hand on you and pray? Releasing spiritual workings and manifestations. That's coming. But then harvest. When I got to this portion here, this is where I heard harvest. Resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Why is this important for us to understand? Why do we need to understand the doctrine of resurrection and eternal judgment? Because how we view eternity will influence how we live in time. I could go a lot of directions right here, but this is what I felt like I need to talk about. I need to talk about two judgments and two thrones. Weight's getting ready to come in this room. Romans. Chapter 14. I'm going to actually begin in 10, but I think you're only going to have 10 up there. But watch. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother's? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I will go on for it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Second Corinthians. For we must all appear, all of us, before the throne seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, I will continue to read. The terror of the Lord we persuade men, but we are we are well known to God and also trust are well known in your consciousness. Also trust well known in your conscience. According to these two scriptures, there is a judgment seat. In the Greek, the word judgment seat here is bima. Bema seat. The bema seat of Christ. Now I must go to Revelation. Chapter 20, verse 11. Y'all just stay with me. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. I saw the dead small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which they were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And there was a second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Two thrones, two judgments. The first throne that we saw is called the judgment seat of Christ. It is for the believer. This judgment seat, every believer, all of us, will stand before it. When some believe after death, some believe after the rapture of the church, it does not matter. The truth is, one day, all of us will stand before this throne. The Bema was an elevated throne. It was the place after an athlete had run their race. Fought their fight, run their race, kept their faith. They would stand before the beam of judgment and there they would receive their reward for a job well done. The beam of seed is not whether you are saved or not. It is a place of reward. You see, it does matter, church, how we live. We will be judged not for our sin, before our sin is under the blood. Our sin is at the foot of the cross. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ because we are his and he is ours. And we're going to be asked a question that day. Let me see how well you have done with what I have given you. Let me see if you lived a life of obedience. Let me see if you finished the, the, the journey that I laid out before you. Let me just see what you have done. See, what this does, and why this is important for us to understand this, is we have to understand it matters how we live. The cross was such a place of price that you have to understand it was more than just getting us into heaven, out of hell into heaven. It was about living out an assignment that's been given to us, and God doesn't want you to be preoccupied with so many any temporal things that you miss the idea in the reality of eternity because we will each one stand before the throne the judgment throne the second is for the unbeliever When, when will this happen, Pastor? Many believe, as I said, after the rapture, for the believer. The dead in Christ shall rise. Those of us who are alive on me shall rise up. We shall be caught up in the air, and we shall ever go be with the Lord. That during that time and that season is when we will all stand. Knowing that our works did not get us there. Only the cross got us there. 
but out of my out of my genuine heart love for knowing how lost I was. See, we see we need to understand this now, not when we get there. You ever you ever been invited to something and you didn't think it was a big deal? And you go unprepared and not dressed right. And you realize, oh, wait a minute, this is a big deal. I didn't prepare for this. That may be what's going to happen on that day. There may be many that stand there and they're so grateful that they're there, but they realize they didn't prepare for that day. We need to think about when we begin to think about the demands of ministry is too difficult. going to get quiet on me but I got to preach this anyway why, why, why do we even need to know this pastor because it should keep us on the edge of obedience and then there's this 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 unbelievers and most believe that this is going to take place after the tribulation those that come through the tribulation all those that are dead outside of Christ there's a resurrection. So you got the first throne for the believer, then you got the next throne, the second throne for the unbeliever. It, it, it is here that they will be judged for every sin and every evil deed. They will be sentenced to eternal separation. And they will immediately step into a place of eternal torment in the lake of fire. So as we're dancing and we're shouting, don't forget there is a judgment day. Don't forget there is a great white throne. Though I am not fear of it, because I've cast myself on the cross of my Christ and his mercy. There are many today that are a breath away from stepping out of time into eternity, not knowing. Christ. Is this too much? Why are you preaching that to us? Because we need to understand. We need to understand the task at hand. It's not just getting people to come to church. It's not just getting people to say yes to Jesus. It's literally pulling them away from the flames of hell. Do you want to know what it's like? I don't, but I have to tell you. This, this lake of fire. There's a story that Jesus tells. He says, there's a rich man. And there's a leper. The leper sits at the gates hoping to get the crumbs from the rich man's table. The leper dies. It goes to the bosom. And the angels come and take him to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man dies wakes up in torment 
And the Bible says he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus and he sees him and he says, Abraham. And the Bible says he cries out. The word cry means he yelled. He is in torment and he's yelling. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said he wished to God. That every convert that he has, he could grab them and hang them over hell for 30 minutes. So they could literally see what they're really saving people from. I know, hang on, y'all. We don't hear preaching like this anymore. He's yelling out. Three yells from hell. He heard them. He said, can you have mercy on me? You see, there is absolutely no place that the mercy of God cannot reach except this place of torment. The mercy of God is now. Please let me, let me inform you that, that once you step from time to eternity, the choice is made. Someone once said the church is tired of hearing a repentance, but those in hell wish they could hear it one more time. cried, can you have mercy on me? But there was no mercy to send. It couldn't go there. See, people say, I, 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 I'm okay with God judging me. But you have to understand, that means God is a God of justice. And justice means we get what we deserve. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve. And grace means we get what we don't deserve. He cries out for mercy. But there is none. If he could have had mercy, Jesus would have had mercy. He had mercy on the man on the cross. But there was no mercy to be released. He was in a place of torment and he just needed mercy one more time. But there was none. And then there was this cry, this shell. Can I get some relief? Can I get can, can can you get Lazarus just to get a dip of water on his finger and bring it and touch my mouth so I can have just a little relief? See, I didn't come to play today, and you gotta understand this this place I'm talking this place of torment, this lake of fire, this place of hell that God did not create for you and I, but He created for Satan and his angels. And one day they will be eternally set there and doomed there, and they will spend eternity burning in hell. But I have come to tell you, God is going to judge us one day. And when you when they when they enter this place. There will be no relief. You see, you said it's a lake of fire, not a river. Heaven has the river. Heaven has a flowing river of life that is refreshing and renewing and satisfying. But in hell is a lake of fire. It is a stagnant thing that can satisfy nothing. And you cry out, I need some relief. I need some relief. But there will be none.
the last thing he cries out for is a preacher. Can you send a preacher? I got five brothers. They need to hear about this place. Send a preacher. Can you send Lazarus to preach to them? How can they hear without a preacher? Can you send a preacher? Can you send somebody? I don't want them to have to do with this. Can he said it don't matter if I got rose raised up Moses and sent it, they wouldn't believe. There's already preachers. I think more than ever we need preachers. Not preachers like me that stand behind a pulpit and hold a mic. But the preachers that step into hell every day. They they may not be in the lake of fire yet, but they're surrounded by the flames. They're surrounded, they're unsatisfied. That's why they're that's why they go to the drugs and pornography and 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 and, 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 and all the other things because they're so unsatisfied and that they're going and that they don't understand the things that are going to satisfy them. Well, one day they will want more than ever, but cannot have. And we understand this today. We need preachers. We need preachers. We need preachers who will preach that hell is still hot, and that, that heaven is still real, and that sin is still wrong and that the only savior and the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ there is no other way broad is the way that leads to death narrow is the way that leads to life will you come to Jesus thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast where we exist to influence a nation with revival you can order Pastor Kim's book Doorkeepers of Revival at Doorkeepers of Revival And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.